to episode 144 of the No Presidium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. Um, this, uh, this is the second time I've recorded this opening. Uh, I had a version of the opening I really, 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 really liked. And um, then I found out there was something wrong with the file and I lost it and I had to re-record. And this is the re-recording. And of course, uh, you, you may be able to detect a slight like bassy hum underneath everything. That's that's my neighbors making some weird noise. So this is going to be a truncated opening is what I'm trying to say. Um, I wish it's gone. Like, actually, there's there's no recovery. Like, that, the original version of this is totally, totally gone. It was very pleasant. Um, I talked about beer, among other things. Um, we had a nice time. Uh, gone to the ether. You'll never hear it. It's dead. Uh... <laughs> This week on the show, our friends from Ceaseless Fun, Derek Spencer and Meredith Trinan, are here. Uh, this is an After Dark episode. That's why I talked about beer. I talked about the type of beer we drink. I'm not going to give you that information now. If you want to know, you'll have to listen to the irregular, because that's where I'll tell you that. Um, oh, look, they're wasting water. That's what's making all this noise. Isn't that wonderful? Um, not Meredith and Derek, my neighbors. Um, hey. Uh, yes, we record this uh, right right with a lovely view of uh, of, of uh, Thai Town. Um, hey, um, what's this episode about? And then we'll do the Patreon thing. Uh, Derek Spencer and Meredith Trinan are uh, the producers over at Ceaseless Fun. We had Derek on the show not too long ago, um, and it was good. We got the background there, so you know you, you heard about Grandpa Johnson. You heard about you know why I want to fuck Ronald Reagan. Uh, we had we've had Meredith on the show, if memory serves, talk about. Um, do we do we have Meredith talk about grief? Oh gosh, I hope we did. My memory's failing. I could go and look back through the notes. I think we did that. So now now here they are together, uh, talking about Agnosia, which is a show they just did. Talking about They Who Saw the Deep, which is a show that's coming up. Um, we don't give away much beyond what's in the marketing material on that. We do talk a lot of process, and also it's an After Dark episode, so get ready for a wonky process episode fueled by beer. Um, this is this is a this is why I do this, right? In one of those episodes, like this is this is what I enjoy, like getting down deep into the process. So we're gonna do that. Um, I'm really looking forward to They Who Saw the Deep, the space I wax poetic about a bit. We don't reveal any details. I don't like to hype things that don't need to be hyped, but y'all need to see this space. <clears throat> the show is coming up in May. Uh, there's there's a little tag at the end tell you how to find all the tickets and everything. Uh, indeed, um, we had to like start recording again, and that might be why we lost the original opening. So there you go. Now you know everything. Very Brechtian. Um, let's do the Patreon thing real fast. Hey, there wasn't any new Patreon backers, so moving on. No, um, <laughs> we just put out a big wall of thanks for everyone who's backed No Pro on Patreon over at NoPresidium.com. NoPresidium.com. I'm trying out some new things. Um, and uh, that was a rescue from from the the lost opening. Um, <laughs> giant wall of thanks everyone uh, who hasn't asked to be anonymous or whose uh, credit card wasn't declined. Uh, is on our big wall of thanks for April 2018. 
uh, that's currently on the front page of No Persinium, along with a new Immersive 5 uh, with one of the people from Odyssey Works. So you should go check both of those out. Uh, we've been doing a lot of i5s of late, uh, of which we are very proud of, kind of documenting the immersive world here. Um, do, 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 do. Patreon. Yeah. So let's just let's do the leveling thing. Uh, the Patreon is essential. Um, if perchance you're one of those people who listens to the show and hasn't jumped in and become a backer yet, we really need you to do that. Um, even just just a dollar, just at the dollar a month level uh, makes a big difference. Um, if you jump into the five, you get access to the irregular, which is uh, sort of the the cousin podcast, which you know, occasionally has long pieces, like we did something this week uh, talking about a few shows that we saw. So kind of like insight that you might not get otherwise um, coming out on an irregular basis, hence the name. Um, and a few other features as you kind of climb up the ladder. Um, you know, we've got we've got big goals. We want to we really want to get this to about five times what it is right now in terms of the income coming in. And we know that traditionally that would mean uh, doing more, right? Just finding new ways to do more. And the truth of the matter is, is that we're kind of redlined at the moment uh, because we do a lot and still have to make ends meet. So um, if you want the shackles off, uh, you know, find some, find some pocket change uh, is what I'm sort of asking. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Uh, as always, our sustaining backers uh, who make this show possible are um, starting off with Ross Sigworth, uh, who uh, has jumped in, in in a huge level. Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur Tubman, and Ari Herstan all are at the sustaining backer level. Thank you guys. Uh, you're, you're the rock upon which this church is built. And uh, yeah, that's it for the plugging. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a needful thing, though. So now we're back to like the guilt trip version of it. Um, that's it for that. Let's get into the episode. What have I not? I've already set it up. So I've already set it up. The prettier version of this is, is lost to time. Let's jump into the episode. Here we go. Derek Spencer, Meredith Trinan, Cecil's Fun. Roll it. I think we're. I think we should be good. It's um, good. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're definitely good, and I'm. I, I'm, I'm the one that's definitely allowed. good. Yeah. I'm definitely good. I'm the one that's allowed to be off mic. I, I want to get a new setup. Like Jacob Patterson's got. We've started. Uh, Jacob Patterson's got this three microphone setup uh, that he busted out after IDS. Uh, we were at like the the Hilton or something like that, mm-hmm. or, or the the Marriott, one of those hotels. We weren't even supposed to be there, um, and so it was Tommy, him, and I over drinks. While I was su- when I was super sick, mm. at, so it was really oh, funny. Yeah. So I've got this super bassy voice, and then they bring out this smoking drink that I ordered, and I inhaled it, and I'm wheezing, coughing because I inhaled a bunch of hickory smoke. Really awesome drink though, called Carl the Fog. I recommend it if you're ever in San Francisco. Um, we've got we've got drinks. This is going to be a no pro after dark with <laughs> ceaseless fun. That being Derek Spencer and Meredith Trinan. Um, did I get? I said that right. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I've known you long enough. I shouldn't speak up. I'm, par- I'm permanently paranoid about everyone's name, particularly if I've ever said it wrong once, then forever it'll haunt me. I shouldn't read anyone's name. I should only, like, hear it. 
You should never look at a name before I've been told it. I think you're safe with me. I don't think it's ever. Yeah, yours is. <laughs> yours is easy. I, I mean, the only thing I, I get to earn it a little bit because uh, my mother's maiden name would get screwed up all the time, and that's mm. why I went by when I was uh, when I was in high school and before. Um, we're gonna talk about agnosia. Did okay. I get that wrong? Did I get that wrong? No, you got that right. Okay, good. See, see no one's paranoid about words tonight. Am I saying the words right? Am I saying see, the words? We've been saying it agnosia, but agnosia? I think it's been kind of a 50-50 split. And okay. I've never looked up the like IPA pronunciation. So okay. I think agnosia and agnosia are both acceptable. All right. As we're far gonna, as is We're going to talk that show, which is part of... Uh, which is part of your show cycle this season. And then we're going to talk about They Who Saw the Deep, which is the next one. I'm going to take this uh, comb of mine away from you uh, so you don't have to deal with it. Play with the animals all you want, but no combs. That's a the, knickknack series. This is great. <laughs> this is I'm going to get hate mail from this want? opening. Uh, zebra, zebra or elephant. You want zebra? zebra? Yes. Okay, great. Okay. So, well, first off, how how did you two decide that you were going to start working together? Because, Meredith, you did, you'd done, you'd done grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had been you've been working on a lot of stuff before then, but grief was your first directorial thing here. Yes. And then Derek had been doing you know why well, I want to fuck Ronald Reagan and a bunch of other work. And you had like AD'd on that one, right? Yeah. So I I actually stage managed Ronald Reagan okay. um, and did a little bit of directing. Um, and then Derek came on board as an AD for grief. Mm. Um, and in the midst of that process was like, hey, I want to expand. I want a producing partner. Do you want to come on board? Um, and I said, yes, absolutely. I think we we had a couple of like test runs working together pretty closely, so it felt like a natural partnership. I'm going to call out one moment <laughs> that happened like a year before this, which is when we were closing Reagan. It was like the closing party for mm-hmm. Reagan. Uh, we were just us and the cast, basically. We were very, very drunk, and I think uh, Meredith drunkenly declared, uh, "You know, whatever, whatever you make, I'll just, I'll produce it. Like, you got, I got you. Like, I'm, I'm into this stuff. You're doing it. So, so I think I took that as like kind of a soft, uh, a soft agreement to be my producer. <laughs> and then a year later, we formalized it. Yeah, so. yeah, that's pretty good. That's the way it should. That's that's nice. That's organic. That's the way it should work. Like you guys had the experience of working together before you committed to the. It's like creative dating. You know, it's it like, was like creative dating. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's not bad. Um, so Agnosia, how or Agnosia or whatever I'm gonna call it. <laughs> uh, how did how did that one come about? And 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 how is this gonna relate to this whole idea of outline of a human? Like, yeah, let's take us through these ideas. I can I can talk about that. Yeah. Um, so I actually, if we're if we're keeping this narrative going, uh, I came to Meredith like as we were starting to work on grief and told her that I had this idea for a three show season. Um, and that was the, like, so I, I kind of came to Meredith with, this, with these ideas in mind, uh, Ignosia being, well, I think I said this maybe when we were doing like yeah. the AMA before, but they, they all kind of um, came out of the same idea, which was I was interested in this one particular text, uh, which is like the Epic of Ilgamesh, and I was thinking about all the different ways that we could like ex- extract the themes of that text mm-hmm. and work with that in like an immersive theatrical setting. And Ignosia was one of the ideas where it's like it just got... Like I kept brainstorming, and it got so far away from the initial idea that it just became not at all Gilgamesh. But what was cool is because all these ideas started from the same place. They all kind of had similar themes, even though they had moved so far apart from each other in terms of text and in terms of style. Um, so it made sense to kind of like cluster them around the theme that they all shared. But you know, they're, so they all kind of came out of that central, central uh, textual influence. And then obviously, when I started like talking to Meredith about them, that helped shape the ideas a lot. And we I think. A lot of things have changed since I initially 
pitch to you on everything. Especially with the third show, which, you know, we haven't talked about yet, but that, that show, very different from the show that I pitched Meredith on a couple months ago. So. What's, this, what's this process like, Meredith? Like, you know, Derek comes to you with crazy ideas, you bouncing board, what's, what's, this, what's the function, the story? Um, it's actually a lot of him coming to me with crazy ideas and me being like, I need to think about that for three days because it's like so much and so big and can I get back to you? And I will come back with follow-up questions at a later time. Um, but then, yeah, I think it's a pretty collaborative process in terms of what works and what's exciting to both of us and, like, where we're really, like, what we're really sifting through and what we're kind of getting down to. And I think something we're both looking forward to is, uh, so, you know, this is the first, this season is the first piece of work that we've done, like, as full partners in Ceaseless Fun. Um, but this is... We still have not uh, started a show from scratch together. Yeah, and yeah, worked yeah, on it. You know, everything we've worked mm-hmm. on together has been either Meredith come, came to me with an idea, or I came to her with an idea. And I think I'm really looking forward to the point where, we're like, when we end the season and we have like a blank board in front of us, mm. what happens then? Because I think that'll be a different process than anything we've done before. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't really see this as being something where Meredith is like 100% producing and I'm 100% creative. Like I think there's a lot of intermingling of those mm-hmm. responsibilities. And I think whatever we do after this will be something that's more of a joint idea baby if that makes sense <laughs> lack of a better word you had with Ignosia you had you know a theme of loss going on there was some resonance there with with grief mm-hmm. um, also taking place physically in the same spot so like some some yeah, deep yeah. which almost because that because that's also like your apartment are you getting to this point where like you've associated your apartment with like <laughs> grief with and loss and death yeah, yeah. Okay, we were talking about this day we're like okay so the next project like we're definitely done with that theme of like death like we definitely we definitely like said all we have to say about that topic um, <laughs> for a while, at least. For right? a while, you know, at least. Yeah. For a while, at least. We, we will have finished everything we have to say once we once we close uh, the Who Saw the Deep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it makes it makes <laughs> sense to me that this current's going on in the culture right now. Like, it makes a lot of sense. It's just like so many people are tapping into it. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's this it's like this subconscious cry. But what I wanted what I wanted to talk about specifically with that with Agnosia mm-hmm. was this idea of of the two lenses and and the, the the choice between one mode or the other like how did that how did that idea kind of come together this uh, this this notion of someone comes in they're they're given a choice that they don't necessarily know is a choice but and through that they're able to sort of shape their experience because it was such a subtle way of creating audience agency and narrative agency without it becoming the it, it did this weird thing where it managed to really define the show without becoming the focus of the show. Mm-hmm. How'd you land on that? <laughs> so I'm gonna. Uh, I think I quoted this exact same person last time I, I was on the show. Maybe maybe I didn't, but uh, a, a really close friend of mine who I, I appreciate and trust once told me that I'm a I'm a gimmick first creator. Like I come with a gimmick mm. and I build a show around it. <laughs> you did say that. Uh, you did and say I think Enoja yeah. is probably the perfect example. Where oh! I'm like, I want to make a show where there's two people in a room who don't know that the other person is there, and they're both engaging with the act, like with the audience member, as if the other person isn't there. Like I want to, I want to like split screen this show, right. but with one like one perspective. So like it was like that was the idea. That was the like the my lens I wanted to take and interpret like this idea of loss and like duality and 
how you frame your own life in the eyes of another kind of stuff. Um, but then we all just kind of like, so knowing that was the central gimmick going forward, you know, we wanted to kind of perfect what that felt like and make sure that that wasn't an overwhelming experience. So, I mean, from day one, that was what we were working on with the actors where um, I feel like I, I just like the ideas of like collective consent and like between the two actors and, and the idea of self-focus was like the words I said most mm-hmm. often throughout the whole process where I'm just like hammering these things because I knew that uh, they kind of awareness of the other body in the space without being able to actually interface with the other body in the space. Yeah. It was going to be so crucial in getting it right and like pinpointing this yeah. place where you're working in harmony but you're never actually working together. And I think I think I saw what the preview night and yeah. you were already dialed in. Mm-hmm. Like the show is dialed in really tight right from right from the jump. How how similar is the process here for this new show? Uh, literally not at all. Yeah, they complete like you couldn't pick for for as far as what we'd work on, I don't think you could have picked two more different processes because this is we're, we're working with some of the same themes. I, I was telling an actor, like, we're, the way we were talking about the other day is just, like, this, uh, if Ignosia is, like, exploring the loss, like, the impact of the loss, this is exploring what you do after, like, what people do in, in the um, in the wake of tragedy. So we, we start from a place of loss, but then we move on, mm-hmm. I think, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this process is going to be a lot more uh, similar to Reagan, or it was a lot more similar mm-hmm. to Reagan for us, where... It's about generating a lot of content, like looking at moments over narrative and then kind of stitching it together mm. uh, once once you feel like you've generated a world. So it's more about like world building, whereas Gnosia was very zeroed in on like a narrative experience, two people, one relationship. This is, you know, this is big. This is world. So it's a very different process. When you're world building, how do you two play off each other? What's what's the what's the game there? Yeah, you want to talk? <laughs> <laughs> um... I think mostly because Derek is working with the actors so intimately, like day in, day out, um, I feel like I'm often coming in as sort of like an outside eye of what makes sense to me based on what he's told me and what I've seen be created and what I know about the characters so far. Mm. Um, So I think a lot of the world building is like, for me, is more like a, a... instinctual gut reaction to what I'm like seeing right in front of me Mm. and I think Derek is approaching it from a much more like textual um like pragmatic sense does that make sense yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. is that true I don't know I think that's that's true I think um yeah I suspect there's something very programmatic about the way you work because like like having having worked with some with some other stuff that's not that's not in the creative zone. Like text is a thing for you, um, and, we, and we know that text, like interpreting text, is definitely a thing for you from like in the past mm-hmm. stuff. But like systems definitely are are a big part of the way the way you think. So I'm kind of curious. We want to go a little deep here on on that part of the you know, how you push the creative process. Yeah, I'd actually way. I'd love to talk about that because I yeah. feel, I feel like so much of my uh, I don't want to give any like spoilers for my, my no. tips and tricks, but like, right. like so, uh, so much of what I do, especially early on in the process, is like putting the ensemble in a in a position where there's lots of rules and like increasing the amount of rules that they're subject mm-hmm. to until they can't follow the rules anymore and seeing what happens. Like breaking breaking the world mm-hmm. that I constructed and seeing what happens in the wake of it. And I think that's like the that was definitely true for Reagan, 
where there was a lot of like constraints, putting constraints on certain scenes. Like, hey, do this scene, but you have to increase your tempo consistently, or do your scene, and you have to uh, also, you know, keep in mind X, Y, and Z, and just like adding rules to scenarios, uh, to improv scenarios, and, until they kind of burst, and then kind of picking up the pieces after that, and seeing like, okay, well, where did everything land? What does it look like? Mm. Um, so I think that's true. Even that, maybe like, what what do they hold on to? Right? Mm. What are these yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, cause I throw I throw so much text at the actors, and I I know that that's a big um, like burden on the actors sometimes, but I throw a lot at them and it's kind of like what sticks? What do they what do they gravitate toward? What do they what do they hold if they have to drop, you know, three of the four things I'm throwing at them? What's the one thing they're left holding? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say I mean we I think we're somewhere in the area of like sixty to seventy different source texts that we've drawn on now for the Who Saw the Deep. Um, we're, wow. we're just we're constantly collaging, we're constantly pulling. I act the I ask the actors throughout the process Send me anything you're interested in, anything you see as very related. Maybe we use it. Maybe we just use it for food for thought. Maybe we don't use it at all. But mm-hmm. like we're just constantly kind of like putting text and materials into the incinerator, into the like mixing, blending, whatever <laughs> the metaphors are going for. We put everything in, and we kind of see, you know, uh, what what spits out. So, um, but I think like back to your initial question. I think with Meredith, it's like um, if I'm the one like shoving all this stuff into the machine. I think Meredith's like looking at the readout a little bit and saying, um, yeah, like th- this makes sense or this does not, I don't understand what just came out of this machine. It doesn't make any sense. Go back, put some more shit in. You know? So there's kind of like a gut check, like, uh, you know, oversight on me situation, which I definitely need. You're working, I think, with some new folks, but also with folks you've worked with before. You're sort of, how's, are you, do you feel like you're developing like a, a cadre here or, or a company? Um, yeah, I think so. I think we were working with um, Scott, who's been in, I think, everything you've done in L.A. <laughs> Almost. <There's>, I mean, <laughs> Almost what, everything like that you've done. One or two shows that he has um, in so L.A. Nice. Juliet, who was in Grief. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we are sort of constantly drawn to, the, to a lot of the same faces that we've worked with before. But also we're working with a lot of new people in the show, which I think is really exciting and really like fun to kind of mix people who kind of know our vocabulary with people who are like, what? <laughs> yeah, so out of our actors, it's six out of the nine are new actors who we've never worked with before. Mm-hmm. Three of the actors we work with, and that's, so that's Scott and Juliet, who Meredith mentioned, and also uh, Soren, you know, I've worked with before, mm-hmm. and Meredith's yeah. worked with them before. Yeah. Um, but then our, our design team, I mean, uh, we, we've used uh, the same like artistic mm-hmm. director, or art director, for all of the shows that either of us have done since you left, or since you like stopped working with play. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and that's, um, yeah, so he's a, he's a constant, Liam is a constant in our kind of like aesthetic yeah. principles of the worlds we built, you know, because he's been, he's been there for all these shows. Uh, and then Dakota is also uh, involved in this piece too. So, and he's, I think Dakota's. it's pretty safe to say mm-hmm. he's like a fixture in the ceaseless fun world at this point. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are working this long form performance art piece. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You got recognized as Dakota the other day, I believe, as you posted on Every Facebook. Day. Yeah. Whenever Dakota and I are in the same room, people think we're brothers or the same person. And the other day, I was actually um, recognized as Dakota when I mentioned that I, I made immersive theater. Someone was like, Oh yeah, you were that guy who like led me into the space and like uh, had the cat on the way in and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> I wish I wish I was Dakota for the record. <laughs> you've, you've got it. You've got an avatar. You can plug into the shows, right? That's, there there's, there's a thing for you. We'll get a performance art piece someday with the two of us, just like mirroring everything that the person does. I'll like, yeah, yeah. Meredith can direct it. Great. <laughs> um, 
how much, if, if at all, do you want to talk about the space for They Who Saw the Deep? Because I think, I think there's... One of the things I'm very excited about, having been inside that space, mm-hmm. is people getting to be in there, even though we got to keep it, you know, you know, hush hush. Yeah, I, I don't want to say anything that uh, any of our like associate producers might get mad at me for saying about the location or right. this, this. Well, not revealing location. But I, but what like, I what I will say right at the bat is uh, it's funny that you're asking this because Meredith and I just like made some executive decisions over the last few days because we felt like we wanted people to really experience the space. We feel like the space is very essential mm-hmm. to this show. I mean, to all the stuff we do, I feel like it's pretty right. yeah, responsive. Yeah. But this space... So this space, I don't know, we made some choices recently, so it's like, we want to open up the space to people. We want people to see the space. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting. It's big. It's big. It you can feels... see how big it is? You want to see how big it is? Yeah, or? it's 17,000 square feet, so it's it's massive. Yeah. Um, for us, at least. For us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's, that's that's massive for a lot of a lot of the work that we get to see these days. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. on the big side. Um, it's got character. It's, <laughs> oh, it's got a lot it's of character. character. It's um, <laughs> so much character. I think it also feels like I when we found it and we and it like all worked out and it clicked and it was like this is the space we were gonna be in. It felt like really ambitious. And we had mm. to sort of like raise, like rise to the occasion a little bit of like, damn, this space. Like we really have to like. Yeah, I mean, we a hundred percent went back to our our budgets and had to like revise everything as soon as we decided we were using the space. But it was also a situation, and I think this is more about the space than anything else we could say. Where Meredith and I walked in there, and even though we knew it was going to be like ten times the amount of work to use the space, and even though we knew it was going to be like a much bigger budget, we'd have to like prepare for that. Um, the, I think we were both kind of in the same place where we couldn't not use the space once we saw it. Oh, There's no way we yeah. were going to walk in there and be satisfied with any other possible space we could have used for the yeah. show. Yeah, 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 no way. So. No, no, once, once, it's like, you know, Lay's potato chips, once the poppy can't stop. I mean, that, that thing is, having just like wandered around it, yeah. like, you know, ahead of like a meeting we were having, mm-hmm. and just, it's ridiculous. It It's something out of a, Story or another time. I realized I, there was a room that I haven't been in in months. I forgot about it the other day. There's a, like rooms I've just like forgotten exist in our space, and I have a map of it. We've like mapped it out and everything. Oh my goodness! And like even after the mapping, I'm still yeah, forgetting yeah. that parts like, of it exist. Oh yeah, that it's, thing. It's that nuts. thing over there. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, well, and, and like, how are the actors finding the? Oh, I see a grin. Well, I'm just. I mean, we had a. Um, you want to say something? Oh, I was just gonna say like. Over, we've been like working in the space for almost four months at this point. Well, not with the actors. But not with well, the actors. Okay, okay, yeah. Just yeah, yeah. like getting the space prepped right, and cleaned right, right, and right, all right, the stuff. Right. <laughs> you saw how excited I got. Yeah. There was like four, four, four yeah, yeah, months yeah. with no, the actors. Not, not four months with yeah, the actors yeah, yeah, in the space. But it's incredible. like every time we brought a new person in, there was just like the amount of joy and excitement <laughs> that they were just like beaming the whole time has yeah. been a really fun experience. And I think the actors were like... We, as much as we described it throughout mm-hmm. the earlier parts of our rehearsal process, we like could not put into words like what they were really about to walk into. So yeah, so it was like a lot of wonder. We brought them in on uh, on the first of this month. It was the first day that they had to explore the space, and um, we uh, but, you know, I was talking about doing this like world building kind of stuff mm-hmm. earlier, and I kind of like set some like rules for like what they're like 
like grounds for like exploring the spaces, but it was kind of like like pseudo in character kind of exploration of the space. And it's like, I think we just let them loose for like forty five minutes, just like go explore the space yeah. uh, to your to your heart's content over the forty five minutes. And it was I think like, I saw Deem doing some like snap stories or something. Like. It's very possible. <laughs> I was doing some snap stories, <laughs> like, uh, but it's uh, yeah, they just they had a blast. I mean, they just like the, it was like a cacophonous, insane uh, time watching them explore the space. Yeah. So. It's fun. It's like having having the ultimate kindergarten playground. Um, kind of, yeah. Which <laughs> it might have actually been at one point. Um, all right, cool. Well, well I just, I, I want to get people. I I, I want to get people thirsty to see that space, if if nothing else. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, that's it's valid, but also I want to leave a little bit. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Let but that's come a, check it out. Leave it to the imagination. <laughs> I don't want to get the details yeah. at all. Like there, right, right. there are things in there that you know you don't know. You don't know. You don't know until you see it, which is the beauty of it all. Oh. <laughs> what speaking of seeing things? Because uh, I got to segue off of something. Um, what, what? What have you guys been getting inspired by of of late? Doesn't have to be immersive. Like mm-hmm. this is part of that sort of like question mm. block we use these days of like, you know, what's what's coming into the work? What's getting you fired up? What are you getting excited or what are you getting excited about? What are you what are you eager to see jump around? You want to go? Or you want me to go? You go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was I was like on the way over here thinking like no, she's probably gonna ask me what. I've been seeing recently, and I'm Probably not going to have a good answer because I have been working in back-to-back-to-back productions, and my, <laughs> my evenings have been shot. Um, I'm super stoked for Fringe because it just seems like so many people are putting work up in Fringe. Oh, yeah. Like, the immersive mm-hmm. category is stacked this year. Yeah. Uh, which that was, reminds me. I've got to, like, email all of those people. <laughs> That's my yeah. next thing i got to do. Um, but in terms of what I've been, like, getting inspired by, I feel like inspiration for this kind of stuff always comes from, like, not theatrical places for me. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there's, like, elements of, like, other performative stuff that I'm, like, stoked about and, like, incorporate and try to draw on, but I feel like, like, the impetus for a lot of the work we do is, mm. at least for me, it's, like, very, very text-based. I mean, right. I, I, like, it's, like, I read books that make me imagine certain, uh, like, theatrical stagings, and that's kind of, like, where I feel like I draw a lot more from. Um, like, this... Uh, this process so far, I've just been bringing a lot of poetry by this poet, uh, Ariana Reigns, and she's just been mm. like, like she's a poet. It's poetry. Right. Poetry almost feels like intrinsically, like the opposite of performance in a contemporary sense because contemporary poetry is so, like you have to see it on the page. It's based on like the syntax and like how right. it's presented on the page. But I feel like her poetry uh, translates super, super well to spoken word. It was just like some tweaks and stuff, and even if it's not translated like, yeah. you know it's just very inspiring for this kind of stuff so. that's that's kind of so interesting because you, you're, you're dead on right like modern poetry really is about like it is a printed object mm-hmm. Be- and in some ways because spoken word is its own thing yeah. like, like the two parted mm-hmm. at a certain point mm-hmm. um, and yet you go back and I mean you know what was what was Gilgamesh Gilgamesh was an epic poem mm-hmm. right you know yeah. what was what was who who were the the playwrights in the past, they were poets, right? right? This this essential need to like connect the the voice to the words, the words to the action, mm-hmm. you know, propelling forward that way. You know, yeah. these these rhythms. You know, I thought of an answer to your actual question, which is what like <laughs> performance stuff has been inspiring me. Uh, I'm gonna say, no, but I'm, always, I'm, ha- I'm always happy for it to go beyond performance because I think that's actually something something we, we, we can get too insular. Sure. Right? But go ahead. What was the performance? Well, this is an immersive and it's not theater. But Great. it's performance. Uh, and I'm going to say the uh, there is 
a clowning monthly show that happens not too far from where we're sitting right now oh. called The Merge, and it's at uh, the clubhouse. It's really intimate. It's like a it's like a small comedy venue. Is it in the downstairs or the upstairs? Downstairs one. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, they do it once a month. I think it's free, or you can like donate or whatever. But I went the other month uh, with a friend of mine who does some clowning stuff, and I'm I'm zero percent tapped into like the clown world. Mm-hmm. But that was like the first improv show I've seen in a long time where I like thought it was funny because it was almost like this like viewpointy like you're you're not making funny things happen. You're like letting funny things happen. Like it's like literally. The clowns stand on stage until something inspires movement, and it could be like up to a minute, like it still is, or like totally awkward. <laughs> but like when it happens, it's like I never felt the, I never felt like I was being forced to laugh or like being set up for like a dumb punchline. Right. It was like just the most organically weird experience of like performance I've seen in a while. So I'd say like the merge uh, was super inspirational to like the way you think about movement and the way you think about like mm. letting moments develop organically yeah. as opposed to letting mo- like orchestrating moments in specific ways that may or may not read. So. Yeah. I kind of love how the clubhouse is like the anti-UCB. Yeah. Like it's yeah. home to like a lot of outre, outsider, you know, stuff. And that's, it's, which is so nice because right. like as, as good as it can be to go to UCB, like there's, I've never... I mean, I trained improv in high school and into college, but I, I never enjoyed the culture around improv because of that mm. almost desperate need for the laugh. Yeah. Partly because, like, you know, I was a pretentious high school student doing improv and then getting exposed to, like, Johnstone, even though that mm. was comedy sports. Like, when you read Johnstone, like, half of it's, like, he doesn't give a fuck about comedy. It's, like, let's get to the mask work. Mm. Like, let's get to, like, the social dynamics going on and, like, what can we do to, like, tell a story from nothing, which mm. was what was always exciting to me about it. And and there's there's so much... I mean, that's one of the things that gets me excited about the immersive form is, like, that... the 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 lacunas in the work where people have to be a good improviser, even if it's a good physical improviser, mm. just that kind of like state of awareness, you know, a performer or an audience member gets into because they don't know what's coming next. Yeah. Right. That uncertainty, that, that blade edge. Well, and we try to leave a lot of room for improv in our stuff. And mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like improv and like a, you got to riff on an idea, but right. like this scene works. We're not going to script it. We're just going to like, let you recreate this moment. However you want to recreate it every night. And that's mm. like, a big leap for us because we have to like really trust the performer to nail the idea of the scene that we wanted them to nail and we have to trust them to do it over and over again. Yeah. Like you'd be surprised how much um, of Ignosia was, you know, not scripted. Oh, wow. Um, as I think you would be. So like there was a fair amount of that which was like the actor had like some ideas about where, where this would go, especially with Dakota because he's such like a kinetic, like vibey actor, you know? He's like a, so it's like kind of like letting him have some like space to breathe and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. really, uh, I think behooves the process for him to have that kind of like space. But, um, that is interesting because that show feels really, in a good sense, very technical, yeah. right? Very sharp. Yeah. And we, I mean, we obviously paid attention to the moments where it needs to feel that way, but also right. letting it breathe when it needs to breathe was another thing that we got to do. And we, I mean, coming up with this, with the use of the deep, I mean, a lot of moments are going to be like, these are the notes you need to hit, but we're not scripting 100% mm. of the show. Jazz. So, um, yeah, it's fun. It's 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 it makes my heart race. Talking about it because <laughs> you, you never know like what's gonna happen. I mean, like even even with Ignosia, and like um, you know, I I I love that process to death, and I love the show, you know, in all of its forms. But the, like I saw the closing night last performance, I went to, I like bought a ticket to the show and I went to go see because I had, <laughs> bought a ticket to your own show. I did because yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to see them, uh, and the, it was the show that had evolved over like 150 runs, and mm. I felt like. 
Um, you know, I hadn't seen it since we were still rehearsing, and I just wanted to like go. I don't know. I wanted to have like a moment with my actors in the kind of intimate way. So I, I bought the ticket. I didn't tell them I was buying it. Um, and seeing the show after 150 runs, you know, yeah, uh, was just it was it was a, it was very different because it just kind of evolves organically over the time. It takes on this this own life, and you know, that's I think a natural part of that process. What are you fueling your tanks with, Meredith? Oh gosh. Um... I thought I'd come up with a really clever answer while you were in <laughs> well, like I was really monologue. actually listening to you. Um, I, I, Derek and I were talking about this the other day. I've been really inspired by like my own autobiography over the past like couple of years where I, like I will, um, grief is obviously a really good example of that, but, um, I feel like I'm obsessed with like relationships and interactions and like mm. movement and physical theater and like how all of those things sort of mesh into into creating something live. I think that also comes from a little bit of our process because we're we're leaning into so much of what's happening like in the room at any given moment. So there's like a lot of presence that's called for in what we're doing currently. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of inspired by, like, what's just happening in life or what has happened in life or what's going to happen in life. You talk about a lot of presence in the room. How do you get your actors into that kind of state of openness? Because that's, that's one of the keys, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they need, to be, they need to be open to being present. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a particular pathway um, is, is it mostly done in the in the casting process, or is there something in, in your in your technique, something you're really striving I, for? I actually don't think it's done in casting, and I wish mm-hmm. I could say that I was like casting for emotional openness, but I think we're often just casting for like who who do we love, mm-hmm. who do we want to work with, who do we who do we think is like an engaging performer because it's all devised, so you know we can really we're not casting for specific roles all the time. Yeah. Um, but I think it's different depending on the process. Like with the with Agnosia. It was there were people we'd worked with before, so it was really about like, kind of like opening up our personal relationships and starting like day one. Like we we got into some really personal territory and just in terms of like improvising about like personal desires and mm-hmm. improvising about like um, what it would be like to be in the situation of the characters who were in the like who we were playing in the show and just like really digging into that emotional place where we all knew we were already comfortable working with each other in. Yeah, but with Dave's other deep, it's like. You know, I have these performers we are meeting for the second time when we stepped into the fir- first day of rehearsal. So I think that one was much more about like, and I, I draw like really heavily on like viewpoints and stuff like that uh, yeah. when we're starting the process. And that's, I think, as much, I mean, it's getting them used to the way that I direct, but it's getting them used to each other. Because I think once once an ensemble, like an ensemble that, that's big, that's as big as ours is, um, is comfortable with the other performers in the room, then they're comfortable working in that room you know so it's, it's really about facilitating I think their relationship with each other and making sure that they are feeling really good about the people they're in the room with yeah and once you facilitated that you can kind of dig deeper yeah I think there's also something that Derek is particularly good at as a director and that is like really leaning into what's happening in the room and really leaning into the dynamics that are shaping between people leaning into what actors are really particularly good at or inspired by and I think because of that there's there's not an emphasis on changing reality. We're just leaning into what's there. So I think that helps mm-hmm. and empowers them to kind of continue to just like be here with us now mm-hmm. and not try to 
shift where they don't need to shift. Yeah, there's there's a moment in my in my college career where one of the the professors who the professors would direct the shows, and it wasn't even one of my favorite ones, but it was one of the most impressive feats of directing I saw. Is like he had the ability to see when you were holding yourself back, and he was like, mm-hmm. "You want to do something here, right?" And he like he he was adept at seeing and giving permission, right? And that I thought was such a powerful tool in the director's toolbox that a lot of directors actually don't use because it's like I've got a picture in my head and I'm trying to like get the actors to be this picture that's in my head as opposed to you've got a point of view, you've got an instinct here and let's let's see where it goes. Yeah, I, th- I think for me that just comes, like that, that kind of impulse to look at like natural dynamic and natural impulse comes from the fact that I've never directed a scripted play. Mm. I've only ever worked in the device space as a director, so it's it's never really been a place where I have to like pigeonhole mm. uh, an actor into a certain role. I've always worked in a place where the role is going to be heavily dependent on what that actor is bringing. So I think, I mean, that's just kind of like luck of the draw, the fact that I came into theater late in my life, or like later in my life than a lot of other people have. And I dug right into that kind of work. Right. I think informs the way that I approach the the room. I was going to say that, like, just kind of jumping off what Meredith was saying. Um, I think, uh, like, a story from the rehearsal room that I'm comfortable sharing is uh, from this process where we've been working, not really doing any character work for a while, just like mostly open viewpoints, like physical work together, just like kind of getting um, a sense of how the room felt and how all the dynamics felt. And then on the way to rehearsal, I just had this kind of weird idea where I thought, what if we put like every possible pairing of every actor on trial where we make them stand neutrally next to each other uh, in the center of the room and everyone has like a full minute to write down like, not just based on this moment, but based off of every moment they've seen these two people interact over the whole course of this process so far. What is the, what is the vibe of this pairing? Mm. And then everyone gets to read like what they basically thought this pairing Represented or what what this relationship was like and it could be positive. It could be negative There were definitely some negative ones where people said I think you guys don't like each other or I think I think this relationship is really fraught for these reasons and whatever and then the two actors uh, standing up would have the chance to like Either like agree with certain responses or defend the relationship <laughs> as, they, as they needed to but I mean and that was something I kind of did on a whim almost but it was it was super fun and just super informative really for yeah. I think ever I mean I don't know how you felt about it but I I yeah, it was great. It was really, it was fun and informative and like really dynamic answers across the board. Did a lot of them like like mesh up? Like was there consensus or on a lot of For them? For some, but there were some where like every person around the room saw something different. Oh, yeah. nice. And that, yeah. you know, that would be, that would be like the favorite, like the, like the most engaging responses would be where like when no one messes up and we kind of, we got to kind of like unpack um what that like why this one relationship was giving us so many mixed signals and that's also informative for the actors like going forward like so we hadn't even started working on scenes yet but now mm. those people like had these all uh, these all uh, all these ideas in their head about what people were perceiving yeah between them it gave them a lot to draw and like lean into different options to lean into you know? that's that's a really interesting thing right there like access to what people are perceiving mm-hmm. right because mm. like so much of this art particularly when there's you're only getting fragments of the work it mm-hmm. is about perception it's yeah. it's about what's being assembled in the audience's head and this idea that you could be like transmitting a whole bunch of different things mm-hmm. and that'll either lead you towards like a desire to like be really clear in your intention with another performer or almost be like oh yeah okay we can we can get ambiguous here mm-hmm. you know like we can layer in a couple of different things cuz that's one of the that's one of the fascinating things about life right is like 
it's not as clear as two characters usually. Like you don't necessarily have one. Even any given relationship doesn't have just one dynamic mm-hmm. unless it's purely professional, and even then it doesn't. Right? Like I don't have just one dynamic with. You know, a barista I'm familiar with. The only time you have that kind of dynamic is with someone who you're meeting for like five seconds, right? And then it's purely based on whatever mood you're in. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not you answer the "How are you doing today?" question truthfully or with the usual like, "Oh, everything's fine," right? Um, maybe everyone else does. Everything's fine all the time. I don't. Um, no, but I see that. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Some people may go and steal that. <laughs> well, yeah, I said it. Yeah. I said I was comfortable sharing it. So, I mean, yeah, please yeah. Put, your, put your actor's relationships on trial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend it. <laughs> so, how long is the run on this one? Oh, three three weeks, weeks, 12 shows. Yeah. 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 So, it's a short, short and fast. So, um, get it while you can. And then, no, don't worry about it. You don't have to be gentle with the beer. <laughs> so, get a nice. That's what we want to hear. Um, and then what's what's the next phase, the the, the final cycle, part of the cycle? Uh, then we jump right into stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of Fringe. We're doing for Fringe. Oh, cool. So yeah, uh, and that is, and uh, you guys have we, your space for it. Uh, we definitely have our space. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how much can I say about this, Mary? What do you think? Um, I I think you could do the like. The, basic. the basics. It's technically on the Fringe website already. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So uh, it's entirely it's entirely. Uh, performed in the streets, okay. performed in a one-on-one setting, but with there, there will be five actors who you will uh, interact with, and it is entirely going to be on Hollywood Boulevard. So, and that's the that's the site that we're using. That's where the site specificity all comes from. What you might encounter on Hollywood Boulevard uh, after eight p.m. Okay, <laughs> all right. So. That's going to be fun. We're very excited for that. It's also going to be uh, the exact opposite. In the way that uh, it feels like the, it feels like the exact <laughs> in, opposite. In the way that they who saw the deep is uh, almost like the the antidote to uh, Ignosia, where it's like the, you couldn't pick a more different form. This feels like again like a, a total one eighty, but in a different direction. Um, like it's like a it's going to be a totally different format. Yeah, which is fun because directing six shows back to, or three shows back to back over like six months is a lot of directing, and yeah. I'm really happy to change up like what we're working on yeah. you know, in between the shows. So I don't know, Mary, I. What do you want to say about it? Are you guys excited? <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. Are, are you guys excited to be part of Fringe? You mentioned earlier that there's so much going on. Like, because have you guys, have either of you done Fringe yet in any Literally, capacity? No. Never. Oh. I've never even been to a Fringe show because last year, <laughs> this is embarrassing, last year I was like in the middle of grief rehearsals and like mm. I, before I could see anything, everything was sold out. You guys, you guys are going to so be. So I'm very excited. Yeah. This is, this is going to be a trip for you then. Like. You know, I mean, the the immersive. I I haven't even sat down with the Fringe website and looked at the immersive. Like I, I did a quick flip through yeah. at one point. Just to, I did a count because someone was like, "How many?" And I like I counted off like eighteen mm. at the time, and there mm. may be a few more that have gone since. I've I've already been to a preview for one thing that's in the category, uh, right? Like I did that shit. over the weekend. You should probably start rehearsing. <laughs> you, guys, probably write the show. you guys probably need to make a show. <laughs> Well, you guys devise. You don't do yeah, writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you guys do. You guys probably do need to, to work because that's the thing. What you'll have three weeks, and then we're gonna have like gonna, two weeks of what to get this. Show. We're gonna start. I'm gonna start rehearsals uh, the minute we open. Then who's on the deep? Yeah. Um, yeah so and yeah, it's it's 
it's not going to be as involved of a process as they saw the deep for devising. It doesn't quite it's, sound. It's a simpler show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah we, we, so we'll be devising throughout May. Um, and then we, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be ready for Fringe. We'll be ready. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> like what I'm really fascinated about is that there's, there's a lot of folks from Fringe who saw what happened in our category last year and got mega excited. Yeah. And I'm curious to how many people are actually like committing in. And... I don't know, like, there's such there's such potential here, and knowing that there's some folks, there's a lot of heavy hitters, like, kind of fishing around town right now, even with the people who are, like, headed out to Vegas, and the fact that we could maybe, like, get them into some work is really, mm-hmm. that's a, that'll be a fun option, like, another cultural moment for us yeah, in our I, little community. I think, I think one of the cool things about uh, the immersive scene in L.A. right now is, like, there's a really friendly sort of competition like competition going on I feel like we're like yeah. we're all working with a lot of the same like formats and we're working with a lot of the same mediums and I think we're all it's still kind of like uh, you know there's a lot of unexplored territory on how to like how far we can push certain mediums or how far we can push certain yeah. like formats for shows it's collegiate in the good sense yeah. right it's, it, it's like yeah. intramural games not like right full right. of rivalries but no no I, I, no, yeah. I, I wasn't yeah I wasn't trying to say oh no no no, no I, yeah, I no, think no, it's no, like I'm, super I'm, friendly and super yeah. like encouraging I mean I think it's like I don't think I can safely say I'm making the work I'm making in a vacuum. Like it's it's because of the community that like exists around this work that we can make what we're making. But I think what I'm excited about for Fringe is that Fringe kind of feels like a nice little like, you know, if, if, if we're all playing intramurals together, it's like this is like the once a year little tournament. You know, like, yeah. Like, everybody has to throw their like their little Fringe show into the mix and see what happens and see you know how yeah. they all kind of because they're all right next to each other. They're all in the same spaces. They're all like so tightly. Yeah. You know, well, and they're bouncing, it's fun. It's and they're really bouncing off like n- non-immersive stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, like the only the only thing yeah. that's frustrating is like the capacities in the show is always low, so like we can't we can't get as far out into the fringe community as maybe we'd like to. Yeah. you know, like yeah. there's there's a dream there to like have that, but at the same time, depending, on, you know, I mean, I like the thing I saw. I think they're going to have like maybe like God, not even like thirty slots or something like that for like mm. the whole. No, no, I think they said 36 slots for the whole run. Can we ask you what you saw? Or you're not allowed to say it. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, it was just... Well, and this thing, it wasn't even... I mean, Collie to show, I'm, and I'm, I did a... I just recorded with um, um, with Lauren Ludwig and mm-hmm. Monica Nicholas and with uh, Tad Schaefer yeah. about their show, Rochester in 1996. Right, right. Um, and then... but And I mentioned on this, so I'm not going to go t- too deep because I, I kind of gave a breakdown on it, but it's, it was a thing called uh, A Dialogue Through Music. Mm. And it's uh, Spencer Williams, uh, who is part of uh, Walk the Night, or he's the producer of Walk the Night, which is in Omaha. Mm. And he has also worked on Kaidan Project. His buddy, Andrew, is a, a music producer. And so you go up to Andrew's place in Beechwood Canyon, mm. and you make a song together. Wait, is this thing you were just talking about on your... On the Irregular? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. That sounded it, amazing. It was, it was great. It was, it was super joyful. And, mm. like, it's not... Like, there's... I don't want to... There, there's, there's a design to the experience, right? But like, you don't feel it. But like, they've put intentionality in terms of like what they're doing and yeah. like, like, you know, like crafting, crafting those moments through a couple of things. Uh, so there's like, there's a theory of design behind it, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. You, you, it's com- almost completely unconscious. And what you get at the end is you get this, you get this song you've made with the guy, and on top of that, you've got the experience of making a song with someone. Which is, I mean, what's what's beautiful about that is that 
there's, there's no artifice. You made thing. Mm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's fully participatory. And it's something that I'm getting kind of really excited about, like I said in, in the irregular I did this week, which is, you know, this immersive and participatory stuff and the experiential, you know, it's it's even beyond just what we sort of like, you know, what we're used to doing in, in the theater side of things here. Yeah. Like there's all these ways of, I mean, it's funny because like we've talked, we talked about like the selfie palaces like mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. and like you have a whole thing about like you think like, really give a lot of agency and I'd be very like, oh, whatever. <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of don't agree with myself anymore, but yeah. But <laughs> it's funny, it's funny is I think we've dosey doed because like I went in with that in the back of my head being like, oh man, whatever. And like just found myself having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of like, Kind of like not caring, but in my not caring, kind of having a lot of fun. And I think the critical thing being that there were other people to play with. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. like I've had these play experiences of late and and sometimes, sometimes by choice and sometimes not by choice, where sometimes I've been solo and sometimes I've been with people. Mm -hmm. And that experience of being with people when it's that sort of stuff is very, very critical. Like it's almost like no fun if you can't be playing with someone else, particularly someone else you know, and then, or get paired up with people and suddenly have people play with. And that's the thing. It's like, what is it? You know, like I did Candytopia and there were some people who like knew me, uh, who I didn't really know so well. So we went through and we we just played together and I like, by the end I felt like I had made new friends, Mm -hmm. right? Like a good Mm -hmm. play art experience. I went to Museum of Selfies and uh, you, I, I brought Dasha along as a ride along. Uh, you know, I brought one of the best immersive actresses in LA to be like, oh, let's just, let's go, let's go play. Uh, and so that was a really smart choice because I like you made that like a lot of fun. Um, and then I did this. I did when I did the, um, the the silent play experiment thing. You know, like the part of it where I was by myself felt I was flashing back to like being alone in the play yard with people and being like, oh, it's just... Until it was group game time, yep. and then it was like, oh, okay, now there's friends to play with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's been, like, really telling. And just, like, the way that works for people and knowing that so many people will come... Like, it's so fascinating because, like, some people will come to, like, an immersive show and they'll, they'll want a solo experience. And some people, like, they're almost, like, desperate just to get to the part where it's the group puzzle solve or, like, the discussion afterward about what they just did and comparing mm-hmm. all the notes for full completion. And it's all valid. Like... Every every way is kind of a valid way, mm. um, so long I think it's just engendering some kind of connection. You know, something I never thought I was going to like, but that I like really enjoyed the other night um, was I feel like I've always been kind of like a little allergic to these uh, immersive parties, like where like the it's theater, it's a party right. first, and it's also theater, you yeah. know, and there's thirty theater happening around it. And I feel like that's not like really been a format that I've been that interested in, like personally, like as, yeah. a, as an audience member, right. just like not. Um, I, it makes me feel like maybe a little bit awkward or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I went to one the other night that was just like, I wanted, I mean, I got kind of drunk at it. And it was just, a, I had a blast. Um, and I, I, it kind of like, for me, harkens back to that idea of play that you're talking about. Where, Which one was it? Uh, I went to see Captivated. Um, like the, the, oh, the, Captivated. Did you see it? Yeah. No, I didn't. Anthony, Anthony, who like owes us a review, and we all know it. Uh, Anthony uh, went and saw it for, for, for us. Yeah, so. you know, and that's just like not my normal like wheelhouse as right. like, as a creator or, or as an audience member but I just kind of had a blast you know and so like and then what that really for me focused on that idea of play where I'm just like like you're you're in this with other people and I didn't know anyone else who was there I went mm. alone and like the fact that they the smartest thing they did for that show was like give you two or three 
moments alone with the rest of the people in the house where like even even entering it was kind of awkward like none of us were talking to each other right. but then like once we'd all experienced something in the show and uh they left us alone it's like i didn't care that i didn't know these people we were all like exchanging notes and we were all just like talking really fast trying to like get a plan together before the actors came back and we could like jump on you know and like approach the weird situation we were presented with together. Oh, that almost so that sounds, was a good mechanism that they used where we... That almost sounds like an escape room in, in, in a way. I mean, I, I don't think there was actually a lot of agency. Right. I, think, I think it was actually fairly railroaded when it okay. came down to it, but the fun of it was like, damn, I just saw some fucked up shit in the bathroom. What are we going to do about it, guys? And somebody, I saw some fucked up shit in the lift ride I had to take with the, with one actor. And like we all just kind of like, you know... It, oh, it they did like a lift ride with they, an like, Yeah, they, I, well, I mean like the... the the lift driver was an actor as well, right? But yeah, they uh, they did like a. I don't know if I'm spoiling the show for anybody. I think no, it's, clo- it's I think close. It's closed, but they're they're but doing they're doing I think two more. They go they, yeah they yeah. Three shows so I actually I actually I I didn't know any of the people I went there with. I I exchanged numbers. I'm gonna go with the same people I went to that show with because I'm just like that was fun. Friends for uh, yeah. We, were, we like had a good plan yeah. for how to approach people. One of the guys I was there with was like yelling at the actor at the end of it. He was like, "You owe me answers," you know. So, but like I think that's what they kind of anticipated. Like at least, if I'm being generous to like the creators, I think they anticipated like a certain level of like playfulness. Yeah. Even though it's like a horror setting, you know. Yeah. Well, from uh, what so I know, like, what Anthony was telling me is like Eric Blair, the guy, the guy who made it. Like uh, he used to like be a vampire larper, or maybe even mm-hmm. still is a vampire larper. So like that, the those. Speaking as an ex-vampire lover myself, like yeah, those, that skill set's there. Like you said, but I think one of the more interesting things is finding a way to like you know not lay down. Did they lay down a bunch of rules at the start of the show? No, or? just just one rule which I think was not. I'm almost disappointed you kept this from me until now. So <laughs> one <laughs> rule which was not. Yeah, it was not really needed, but they had the rule of like the actors will always ask you um, if you want to be touched before they touch you, which. I get the I get the impetus there, mm-hmm. and I get the precaution being taken. But the the only time anyone touched me in the entire show was when the host of the party greeted us, uh, and she asked if she could hug everyone. And that was the only rule I can. I mean, I'm sure there were other rules in the email, like where to yeah. meet and like yeah. don't don't like fuck up the apartment yeah. or whatever. But um, <laughs> you know, otherwise, I don't think there there weren't a lot of rules in terms of like how to play the game, quote unquote. So. Oh, that excites me. Yeah. Now it makes me wish I had seen it. I I feel I've, I've been having a low bandwidth. Uh, season, so I haven't gotten mm. out to as much stuff. I'm trying to like farm out the team, um, but yeah. I think. But based on your reaction and Anthony's, because Anthony liked it too, mm-hmm. um, I definitely want to couch uh, do the next part of Captivated. Yeah, I'll, I'll offline maybe give you like a rundown of part one. Hell so yeah, you can uh, be up to date. Well, we've been up, we've been well we've been up uh, for 51 minutes here, and there's still some beer. So I think we're gonna we're gonna stop the actual recording and just get to the non-recording part. Cool. Sounds good. Right. No. <laughs> so oh, is there anything Mary doesn't talk in fifteen minutes. I, I know that's true. Monologuing yeah. about this show. I'm yeah. sorry. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's my bad. It's like oh, Meredith, you know. Um, what the hell was the question that prompted that that explosion? Just, like, we're talking about Fringe and talking about. Oh yeah, you you haven't. So you you are you are you excited about this? Are you going to carve some time out to see some shows? <laughs> you better. I, I have to now. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited that there's so much immersive work there this year. Well, I'm so. also excited that you guys haven't done Fringe. Like, you haven't been to Fringe Central. Like, there's all these rituals around it. That, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm stoked. Fringe, Initiate We're us. Fringe freshmen. Oh, my God. <laughs> the freshman class. <laughs> Haze us, please. Oh, we will. We will. We should, if I know, like, you guys, have you guys gone to any of the, the meetups? No. You know, there's, now, I know you guys are rehearsing with that, but, like, there's one, there was one tonight. There's like, uh, they do office hours. It's one of the reasons why we do office hours, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, you should try and go to. There'll be more. The one they'll get to a point there every week. You mm-hmm. should go to Fringe Office Hours. When we open, they yeah. said you think go Office Hours. <laughs> yeah, then we will uh, go yeah. Office Hours. Yeah. Give, me, give me a few. Okay. No, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm talking to the, the Fringes at home. Yeah. <laughs> they're listening. All right. Let's, uh, let's end this part and let's do the next part. But before we do the next part where we're going to eat some pie because Derek apparently hasn't eaten dinner yet. Yeah, we have come back. Uh, we got to do the part, uh, the, the key part, which is how do people get tickets for this show? Never pointing you to the cat. Literally, I stopped the recording. Like, can you can we do the part where we plug the show? I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, I've been drinking. Derek's all like, I'm tipsy and need food, and then it's like, who's gonna do the plug? And they point at each other. It's um, it's T W. I'll do it. They who saw the so T W S T no. Yeah, you got yeah, it. It's twisted yeah. without the vowels. So T W S T D dot B P T for brown paper tickets dot. M-E. M-E. And if you get <laughs> if you lost along that. the way, you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram at ceaseless underscore fun and the ticket links up on our bio. And I got one more thing to say, which is that um, we're, I mean, we're just kind of excited about being able to offer uh, the income accessibility tickets. Yes. And we still have some of those left as of uh, when we started recording this because it's been super cool actually because I, I, we were kind of worried that we were going to put these like cheap tickets on sale. And that everyone was just going to buy those immediately. Yeah. But we've, I, I think we've had far more, far, far more general ticket sales than uh, income accessibility ticket okay. sales. Which is cool. Which people are honor system. Yeah. It's an honor system. We're not going to check yeah. you on your income or anything. Yeah. It's just like if you think you need those tickets, you should buy them. Because I want everyone who wants to see this work to be able to see it. Um, so there's plenty of those tickets still available. People have been super awesome about the honor system so far. So if you normally can't afford to see immersive work, uh, you can probably afford to see this show. Yeah. So. Uh, and I would even challenge out, if you know someone who's been curious, mm. but who, let me get closer to the mic because I'm really far away from what I was saying. If you know someone who's been curious, but they've always balked because of how much things cost, that's the person that you want to go and get on the income and in, in accessibility income accessibility ticket or if you know a student who ha- doesn't get to see a lot of work right so it's up to you guys out there who know what's up and know what's up with your friends to take advantage of that situation in a very neighborly way that's my challenge to you cool great right. thanks Noah. thanks no Noah. it's pie time <laughs>
that recovery figure out was also like, oh, I could have done that for the other thing and we could have had the original opening of the net. Yeah. So the important thing is the interview. All of this stuff is just extra. I got to remind myself. Um, I was having a conversation with David Spira, a room escape artist, uh, about podcasting and about the effort that goes into podcasting and about uh, it wasn't that we weren't we, we a sidebar, right? A high talking to me. There's a lot of sidebars. You know, this show, you know, my brain. Um, and, um, there's a part of me that regrets that we don't have the time to you really edit and polish and have a good booth to work in. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I came up, I came up with some pretty nice facilities and, um, and, and working in a very particular way. You know, I, I, as an audio engineer, I will be the guy who works for a couple of hours on a single sound effect in a, in a one, you know, one and a half minute piece. Why? Because it's rad and I want to capture a feeling. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's storytelling. It's, it's storytelling. And there was definitely about 50 episodes ago, there was definitely an ambition on my part to get into that kind of audio work here. Um, I suppose from a certain point of view, you could see that as like a, a, a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to like the Patreon. It's like, Hey, wouldn't you like us to have the time to do stuff like that? But I was talking with Spira and like, um, you know, he's, he, you know, when he thinks about podcasting, he thinks like, you know, you know, he'd want to do something like a lot more involved. And I just know like it is to, to get it super right and to have everything all balanced. It just, it takes time and prep. And this is a machine that rolls on and on and on. So we're just, we're buying runway, uh, dime by dime is what we're doing. There's, um, there's a lot of fun stuff going on. Um, Fringe is around the corner here in Los Angeles. We're like mid-April now. Uh, we're going to be scrambling in the next uh, two weeks to get the Fringe Guide together for NoPro. Um, there's there's a few other things you should know about process-wise. We do now have a a link for people who want to submit things. Uh, we you know along with like some of the editorial policy changes we've made, we're making some some process changes. You can still send show announcements to pitches at noprescindium.com. You're always welcome to do that. Uh, it does mean that we fire back a few questions at you uh, in that form now, uh, just because of you know the the information we're trying to make sure we have for our write ups. Um, there's also a uh, there's an Airtable form which the links to which we're going to make sure are kind of splattered everywhere that people can submit directly. Um, and by submitting directly, um, submit directly, it means it goes into our inbox in a way that we actually, thanks to Catherine, we now like get in our Slack channel. We're like, oh boy, something just dropped in there today. The first one to like work that way dropped in there today. And we're like, oh wow, um, one, it's working. And also, holy monkeys, um, suffice to say, Ingress is doing a camping thing, uh, uh, which is, that's going to be, that's neat. If you don't know what that's about, you will when we post it, and we'll post it relatively soon, hopefully today, um, uh, the day this this episode goes up. Because now that I've mentioned it, no, the cat's gone out of the bag. Um, so that's that's in there, uh, and all the data that we need uh, is is there in the form. So then we usually don't have to go talk to you unless you're doing some of the extreme stuff and then we need to like like oh hey you know do you, do you know what you're doing um because that's always a question like do you do you know what you're doing um do any of us know what we're doing let's ask each other and make sure that's what this is about um 
yeah, there's, um, there's, oh, meetups, holy monkeys, I didn't do this at all, um, I'm recording this on Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th, oh, now it all makes sense, I don't care that if you do the calculations, Neil deGrasse Tyson, that it comes up the same amount of time, you kill joy, kill joy, kill joy, no one likes you anymore, um, ooh, Noah's mean, yes he is, um, I used to like that guy a lot. I, some people shouldn't be on Twitter because you just learn they're awful. Um, so much not fun. He used to be in comic books. Anyway, let's not talk about Neil deGrasse Tyson and how he's a killjoy. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about um, meetups. Tomorrow in Los Angeles at the Thirsty Crow on April 14th from 2 to 5, Leia is having a meetup. Uh, we will be there. Uh, it is our old old stomping ground. Um, and yes, I'm the one who said, let's go have office hours at, at The Crow. We've done it before. Those of you who have been before, you know what it's like. Uh, it's drop in, drop out. You don't have to stay the entire time. The drinks are, it's $6 happy hour. Used to be $5. Um, we know what my way isn't anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of the Coachella weekends, so Silver Lake is quiet. Um, great time to head out <laughs> to to the hipster capital of Los Angeles uh, and enjoy drinks in a very nice bar with some very nice people, i.e., the immersive family. Um, makes it sound like a cult. No, we are not a cult. We're like we're an amalgamation of cults. We'll be there then. Uh, also coming up is Everything Immersive. It has its first meet, official meetup, I, I guess, technically. Um, wait, aren't we Everything Immersive? Um, yeah. Um, hey, I got an identity crisis, man. Like, that's just how I roll. That is coming down the line uh, April 25th, if memory is serving. Yes, Wednesday, April 25th. So not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday afterwards in New York City. You can see info for that both at everythingimmersive.com, which is the Facebook group, and on the nopersinium.com website. So if you're in New York, stroll on by, meet the gang. David will be there. Catherine will be there. Uh, I believe Lisa Cohen, I think, is the name of the gal who initiated it. Uh, she's one of the members of Everything Immersive, um, which... which you know, you want to be a member of everything, everything immersive, just click, click, and you will become um, simple as that. Hey, um, that's that's everything that I can think of right now, because it's Friday the 13th, which I naively forgot about. Um, I'm not deeply superstitious, but it's nice to have something to blame happenstance on. Um, yeah. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium, as always, are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstan, and Ross Sigworth. This show is brought to you by coffee and occasionally by alcohol. Also, by all of our generous Patreon, Patreon backers and the tongue-tied ramblings of a theater arts major. I'm no one else than... I'm that tongue-tied theater arts major. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.